Welcome, everyone, to the Building a Money Machine show, Building the Money Machine podcast, whatever you want to call it. And in this podcast, in this club, what we focus on is issues to do with how to build a money machine. What does it take to thrive with your personal finances in today's day and age? I think there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of um, misguided or, or um, half-baked ideas out there in the media. You can turn on CNBC, you can turn on all of these different personal finance bloggers and that sort of thing. And uh, there's such a mishmash of ideas along these different platforms that we need a way to figure out what's true and what isn't. But we need to understand what are the beliefs kind of guiding us. And to make that happen, we have Pontus here, Pontus Lagerberg. Um, he's right now the CEO of White Swan. Before that, he ran Grand Lemur, which is an e-commerce company. Uh, he used to be a trader. He has a deep, deep personal insight on personal finance and what it takes to build a money machine. He's written a best-selling book, uh, The Art of Building a Money Machine, which you can find on Amazon. And on today, uh, today's show, we're going to focus on societal perceptions on personal finance. So, you know, I'm going to get right into it, Pontus. Personal finance, it's such an important topic for so many of us, for really all of us. What are the implications of not being taught this topic in school? How do you see this play out in society right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this is one of my uh, strong beliefs is that personal finance is not being properly taught in our public educational systems. And you know, the reason for that is not only because of ignorance on the behalf of professors and teachers, um, but also I believe because of a societal agenda where we're actually as a society trying to create workers rather than cr trying to create financially independent people. And, you know, this goes back to elementary school where, you know, we're taught about chemistry before we're taught about paying our taxes or how to find a job or, you know, even if you should be finding a job. I mean, in general, people are always asking each other, you know, what do you work with? What do you want to work with in the future? And we never ask, what company do you want to start? What sort of products and services do you want to bring to people? And I think it, you know, the, the problems start already there. But, you know, once we make money, the real wealth will not come from, our, our, our salaries from, from, from the work that we do. But really, in the end, the richest people in the world make the majority of their income from their assets and investments. And within this area, you know, it's, it's, it's not being properly taught uh, anywhere, basically, how to properly invest your money. And even at, at top grade business schools, like I went to a school called Stockholm School of Economics, which is basically like the Harvard Business School of, the, of Scandinavia. And even in that school, they were just going on and on about what's called the efficient market hypothesis. And basically just saying that there's no way to beat the market and all that you should do as an investor is just to put all of your money into a stock index. And for a lot of people, that's not the best solution simply because markets go through cycles and you know every seven to ten years they they crash and while they crash you know the whole economy goes to turmoil and a lot of people lose their jobs all of a sudden they have to tap into their investments which basically means that they're selling off their portfolios at a loss and the returns in the end are not as as popularly claimed 10 percent per year um, but could rather be, you know, minus 
40, 50, 60%. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I really believe that, you know, with the way that personal finance is being taught or not being taught in the public education systems of today, um, it's really made to, to, to produce um, essentially slaves. You know, we spend the first half of our lives being dependent of our, our, our parents and the second part being dependent on our employer and then finally um, being dependent on the governments and relying on a, on a public pension system, which is also you know, falling apart. Um, back in the days, there used to be a lot of what's called defined benefits programs when it, come to, when it comes to pensions, which basically meant that you were guaranteed a certain pension every month until you died. Um, but in this day and age, when people are living longer, when interest rates are falling, uh, when the whole economy at large is getting uh, more and more unstable, um, that is not something that, that a lot of governments can really deliver on. And, you know, I, I really believe that the public pension systems will not hold up for the next generation. And it is really our own responsibility to find a way to manage our own money to um, to, to provide a good life for ourselves and sooner or later everyone has to get financially independent uh, which you really can define as living off of the, the 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 returns or the dividends from your from your financial portfolio um yeah so so you know i i, I really think one people are not taught to make a lot of money they're they're just taught to to look for a job and two people are not taught to to keep their money you know to pay less taxes to not uh take huge loans to buy a house for yourself um to not go ahead and spend all of your money on discretionary items like vacations and clothing and all of that um and you know what people should be taught is that the money that you make you should spend as little on it a little as, as possible of it on yourself and as much as possible on your investments, on your savings, as well as creating services and, and products for other people. Um, and then finally, yeah, we, we're not properly taught how to invest uh, our money and how, how to really structure a financial portfolio that is durable and that fits our financial goals. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not as simple as just putting all of your money into an index ETF and then that's it. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think there are some incredible points you brought up here, and and all of them can can be an episode in and of itself. Um, let's talk about uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you for for sharing. I think I was on mute there for a second. Um, so many different points you, you brought up. So many different topics. They can each be its own kind of show or episode. Um, I want us to dig in a little bit more about these these core beliefs that are driving people right now. Um, you know, you, you talked a lot about how when people give up responsibility for their finances, you know, the first third of their life, it's to the schools, the, uh, uh, the education system, then for the second third of your life, you're giving it away to the, your employer, essentially. And more and more often, there is no such loyalty to an employer. Your employer isn't really employing you for life. They're jumping from place to place. And when it's time to get rid of you, they do get rid of you. Um, it doesn't matter if you've been with them for six months or six years or even 20 years, 30 years. Um, you're, 
that the plug could be pulled at really any any moment. And then the last third of your life, you are um, essentially giving away responsibility to the government to uh, put together a pension plan and uh, make sure that that they take care of you. you you're also giving keys to your um, retirement to your employer to make sure that they have funded a good enough pension plan. And looking at a lot of balance sheets of um, these big fun- these big employers, you can really see that uh, these pension plans are not well funded at all. And um, some companies are, are quite quite uh, uh, close to bankruptcy even in order to uh, if they didn't if they were to actually fulfill all of their pension obligations. Um, but I, I want to push back here. You know, the idea of personal finance, the idea of taking responsibility for all these things, is overwhelming for a lot of people. They are um, they're scared, and and really, investing in an index fund seems a lot simpler, seems a lot safer. Um, do you think there are? Do you think there are negative mis or not negative, but um, not constructive beliefs, not constructive? ideas that prevents people from taking charge of all of their finances? Do you think it's about, do you think people think that this is far too complicated? Do you think it's, it really is that complicated? Like, what's your take? Why do people not want to take responsibility for this? What prevents them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, to be, to be fair, finance is not very complicated. I mean, it's, if you know, if you know basic maths, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, you know, you, you're going to be fine. Um, I think that a lot of people think that finance is complicated because the people who are pushing them financial products want to make it seem complicated so that they can justify taking out huge fees for their services. Um, and this is especially prevalent in, you know, more more complex industries such as the one that White Swan is in, uh, which is permanent life insurance. Um, basically, as a, as a quick summary of, of permanent life insurance, it's, it's an asset class that mixes insurance with, with investments. And basically what you get with a permanent life insurance is you get a, a life insurance coverage that lasts for your whole life, along with an investment account called a cash value, which has a minimum return every year. Um, so it's a very, very safe return that is still quite high. Um, the savings option is called whole life insurance. It's currently at around six and a half percent, which can be compared to the, you know, 0.5% that you can see with government bonds. And this, this whole um, return is entirely tax-free and you can access it through loans. But within this industry, what you see a lot of agents, life insurance agents and financial advisors do is that they use a ton of complicated lingo essentially to make people feel like, you know, this is very, very complicated. I could never do this myself. And my, I, I definitely need this agent that's sitting across the table with his briefcase and his suit. I really need his services and I'm prepared to pay him anything because this is scary and it's complicated. Um, when in reality, you know, there's an agenda to why they're trying to make it seem complicated. Um, so yeah, I, I really think that the, you know, that personal finance is complicated. It's, it's not entirely true. Um, I would say if, if you want to make it simple, um, you know, when it comes to earning money, you're always going to be better off. If, if you're a success, you're going to be better off by, by, by somehow owning equity in the company that you're working in, owning shares in that company. Um, because, yeah, that's generally where the big money is made. 
um, and 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 to really when when it comes to work to not be all about me 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 and just try to get a job whatever job where you can make money but rather think where can i provide value to other people and where can i do that at a scale um, and provide a big value to other people and then you know if you focus on that generally over time if you're persistent you're going to make a lot of money from that when it comes to then spending that money i would say um it's all about it's all about um Firstly, making sure that you always allocate as big portion of that money as possible to investing and saving and not just spending it all on yourself and to not take on huge debts um, for yourself. Um, you know, the classic example being taking on a mortgage to buy a house for yourself because that's what everyone else around you is doing. Um, you know, rather when it comes to taking on mortgages, I would say, Mortgages can be a very good thing if you buy a house to rent it out to others. But otherwise, uh, you know, I, I always recommend people to, you know, it's better to rent for yourself than to buy your own house. And then when you can buy a house, buy a house and rent it out to others. Um, but then when it comes to investing at a, at a bigger scale, um, it's important to remember to invest in such a way that you're not going to be paying huge taxes um, because taxes will will make it difficult to get good returns. And secondly, to make sure that you're not taking too big of a risk um, because investing is really a long, long-term long game. And you, know, you shouldn't be making, if you make 500% a year, you should be very, very cautious that you're not taking uh, some big risk somewhere that you're not fully aware of. And always remember to put at least somewhat of a portion of, of, of your investment capital into an extremely safe asset class, uh, something like permanent life insurance. Um, so, yeah. I think there are some really good top, some points there. I, I think the first thing you really brought up is that it's, it's not about becoming um, an entrepreneur an entrepreneur isn't right. Being an entrepreneur isn't right for every single person. It's right for some people and it's not right for others. But it's about having um, equity in the place that you're working um, and really thinking of yourself as a service provider to the company that you are, um, that you're working for so that you are thinking like an entrepreneur, even though you're working for a large employer. Um, that's a really important piece. The second piece you brought up, which I thought was pretty interesting, is that personal finance is not complicated. And, and um, while you were talking about just the the, the issues of the, the insurance industry, the life insurance industry, I couldn't help but think about uh, the mutual fund industry. A lot of fund managers um, take on exorbitant, large amounts in, in uh, management fees, transaction fees, that sort of thing. And these funds don't necessarily perform all that well. I was reading a book by Peter Lynch, um, arguably one of the most successful fund managers um, in the world for the Fidelity Magellan Fund. Um, and he's written some incredible books about this topic. One of his books called One Up on Wall Street says that um, the average investor has a real edge compared to anyone on Wall Street, any of the analysts on Wall Street, because they're on the ground. They're able to see companies, they're able to see industries shape around them, and they could be investing in things that they know and understand. And, and these companies could be small and if you get on the on, on the right at a at a younger time at a at the beginning of the the rocket ship pretty much going off, you can profit a lot more handsomely than what a Wall Street analyst will pick up on 
six months, a year, two years down the line when the company has already become quite successful. So it's interesting to see that this same advice that you're talking about or the same kind of concepts that are playing out in the, um, in the insurance space is really playing out in, in so many different personal finance spaces out there. And it is a lot simpler than people make it out to be in order to, to buy and invest and, and retain these things. So I, I think those points are, are quite well taken. And the last thing you talked about is, um, is risk. Uh, I think there's this misconception that high risk equals higher reward. And if anything, we're finding out from whether it be through life insurance or whether it be studying the work of some of the most, some of the most successful people out there, uh, like Warren Buffett, who believe that low risk and high return can actually work. And it really depends on you know, what sort of margin of safety are you building into an investment? With life insurance, there's already a guaranteed minimum given out to you. And that really is your margin of safety from, from what, what I can understand. And, and if you're like a stock investor, by calculating things like the intrinsic value of a stock, and by the way, these are, are concepts we hope to get into in future episodes, by calculating the intrinsic value of a stock and, and trying to buy at a price below that intrinsic value, you can create a considerable margin of safety. So there is a way of balancing both safety and high returns and the product that you talk about, life insurance is one way of doing it. In the outside world, you, you have, or beyond life insurance, there are, you, can, you can build that same kind of uh, uh, framework for stock investing, for real estate, for so many different uh, fields out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that's, that's an important point that you're bringing up there. And something that I think is a common mistake among hobby investors is that you know, you get amazed by a huge return. You hear that, you know, Bitcoin has done 500% this year and you think, wow. Um, but really, in reality, no returns will matter unless you know the risk. I mean, if you go to a casino, you could easily double your money in 15 minutes. But if you keep on playing the same game for 30 days, you're, you know, very, very likely going to be uh, walking out of there with a massive loss and, and 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 i think that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that investing is not only about getting huge returns but it's about getting big returns with 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 lower risk so a return has to always be seen in comparison to its risk and that's why you know the the, the financial industry has come up with this term called a, a risk adjusted return uh, which basically uh, what a risk-adjusted return is, it's basically the return, um, you know, seen in perspective to the risk. So usually the, the, the most famous measurement of this is the sharp ratio, uh, where you basically take the return um, minus a, a risk-free return, uh, generally a government bond, and then you divide that return by the, the standard deviation or the volatility uh, of that particular investment. And, and generally with a sharp ratio, you know, a, a good sharp ratio is in general, everything above, above a one. Um, but, but then again, there are some hedge funds. Um, one famous example is Renaissance Technologies, which is, it's basically run by, by, by a team of PhDs, uh, mathematicians, physicians, uh, super, super smart people, where all of the trading is based off mathematics and they have an extremely high sharp ratio. Um, but you know, in general, the average person should not 
aim for that high of a sharp ratio. But when it comes to, for example, a uh, classic index investment, an index ETF, the, generally the, the sharp ratio will be around 0 0.4, 0 0.5, uh, which is it's actually not that good. Um, so yeah, you know, in, 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 in any circumstance like that, timing becomes a huge issue. And, you know, if you want to spend, you know, if, if you want trading to be your job and you want to be in front of the markets every day and you want to be really quick and reactive to the markets, you can do that. But for most people, you know, we have we have a job uh, that we have to do outside of investing. And so that's not really sustainable, um, but rather we have to find these long term strategies that have high risk adjusted returns. And yeah, remembering that risk in relation to the return is, is very important in that equation. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's, an, that's an interesting point because um, you brought this point up earlier on as well that people really do think that, okay, the S&P 500 to invest it in, a, in, a, in an index fund, it's gonna print out 10% year over year um, steadily. And that is not the case. The 10% a year is more an average number that, that you can expect. And you know, if, if you're coming up in your retirement age or you have a major life event happen to you and you need to, to cash in on that investment, that year you might not be getting 10%. Maybe that year is a real swing downwards. The risk adjusted return is a lot lower. As you said, the sharp ratio of, the, of, of a broad market index one could be something as low as 0 0.4. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, also like just saying that, just saying that there's an average return of, of 10%, it's very, you know, there's definitely an agenda to how people have calculated that. Let's say for example, that we look at, at an index investor and we see what are the returns from 1929 to 1955, the returns will be about 0% per year um, because in 1929, the markets crashed uh, about 90%. And it took them almost 25 years to recover that loss. And right now we're in a state in the global economy with excessive money printing, with a lot of businesses shutting down where the, the valuations of the financial markets are not reflecting reality at all. And where we're actually looking at very, very similar conditions to what we saw in 1929. So you know, now more than ever, it's very, very important to remember this fact that index investing is not a place where you can get 10% year over year. Um, not right now anyways. If you buy it at the bottom, then perhaps, but, but, but yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's not that simple. That's fascinating. Can you, can you give like a, a much more concrete example here just to make, that, make this point uh, drive home to the listeners here? Um, why is this not a good time to buy an index, uh, an index fund or an index ETF? Well, I, I, I mean, if we, if we look at the, the financial reality of what happened last year, we could see that a huge number of people lost their jobs, a bunch of businesses had to, had to shut down entirely. And like on average in the whole world, if we look at the, the global uh, GDP, um, which is basically the, the, the sum of what all companies around the world have sold. Mm -hmm. In 2020, that number was down 35%. In that same period, stock markets were up 15%.
So essentially there you have a, a gap of 50% uh, in value that's just not real. It's imaginary. It's, it's created by central banks printing a huge amount of, of money. And Biden just recently passed a bill for another $1.9 trillion to be printed. And, you know, the, the Federal Reserve, of course, is the, is the central bank of the biggest currency in the world, uh, the American dollar. But, but, but it's not only being done by, by the Federal Reserve. The, the, the Japanese yen is being, they're printing a ton of money. The, the Euro um, ECB is printing a ton of money. Central banks all over the world are printing a ton of money. And that is creating an inflation in the, in the financial markets. Um, that is much bigger than, than, than people really think. Um, you know, and, and, and when it comes to some, uh, you know, a theme that we've been coming back to in this talk is, is that th there's an agenda behind a lot of things that are happening in, in the financial markets. And when it comes to inflation specifically, um, there's definitely an agenda there where policymakers want to make the inflation seem low. And, you know, now I'm sitting here saying that inflation is, is really high, but people can counteract that and say that, no, I've looked at the official statistics. It's fine. Inflation is around one to, one to 2%. And that is simply not true because, you know, inflation really is a measurement of how much um, goods and services increase year over year. And there's several ways to count on inflation. You know, you could you could see what's been the inflation in the last year on ice cream or, or on beers or, or whatever good you want to take. And basically what the policymakers do when they come up with this uh, official measurement of inflation is that they choose the goods which have the lowest amount of inflation. And then they say, this is this is the inflation. This is the official inflation. And over time, the measurement of inflation has changed. And back in the 80s, they used to measure inflation in a, in, a, in a different way. And if we use that same way of measuring inflation today, we can see, you know, currently there's an inflation of around 10%, um, which is a lot higher, obviously, than, than the 1% to 2% official, 1% to 2%, which is the official fi figure. But this is all an agenda to justify excessive money printing, which is really the only way of sustaining you know, a, a massive lockdown in the way that it's looking right now. It's the only way to save that whole situation is to print a ton of money. And, and yeah, it's really skewing the financial markets. Um, so, so right now, the financial markets are basically worth a lot more than they should be worth. Um, you know, there's, there's several measurements of that. Uh, a famous one within the stock markets is what's called P&E. Um, um, and uh, it's basically giving you the, the ratio between the valuation of the stock and the profits that that company is making. And, you know, in normal times, uh, a company would have a PE and e of around 10 to 20. Um, but in general, the whole stock market, the PE has gone up enormously. And especially with some companies, for example, uh, Tesla currently has a, a PE and e of around 650 which is, you know, it's just beyond this world. It's, it's not realistic at all. So, so yeah. yeah I, think, I think that's fascinating. Um, for, for, you know, people who can't fathom that, uh, a price to earnings ratio of over 600 implies that it'll take you 600 years for you to earn back uh, the money that you invested in Tesla because the earnings that it has is uh, the price in relation to its earnings 
uh, per stock is significantly, significantly um, higher than, than the actual earnings. And over the long term, it's the earnings that count. Over the long term, uh, prices tend to reflect the earnings that the underlying security, the underlying company, the underlying business actually generates. Um, and, and people are really missing that. So you, you also talk a lot about the issue with fiat currency with, with this inflationary practices by the, by the feds. Um, my reaction to that would be, well, then shouldn't we all just get into crypto then? Shouldn't we all just buy Bitcoin? Because that's, uh, that's, that's something you can print indefinitely. That's something that has a, a, a limited amount of supply. Shouldn't we all just be investing in Bitcoin then? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 definitely been a boom in, in cryptocurrencies. And I do a fair bit of cryptocurrency uh, trading myself. Um, so I don't think it's bad. Uh, what I do think, however, um, is that whenever there's a public mania around investing, and especially in a certain asset class, you know, when, when your carpenter starts recommending that you invest in, in cryptocurrencies, you should be very careful. And you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on what's going on in the cryptocurrency right now. Uh, I, I definitely think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a great industry with a lot of promise, uh, especially within the decentralized finance space. Um, but I, I, I do think it's gonna take longer for that to materialize than, than some people think. And you know, with that said, over the next 20 years for sure it's gonna it's, it's gonna grow and it's gonna become more commonplace but at the same time if we look you know within the confines of 2021 i believe that the the, the current bull run might you know the current yeah bull run yeah the, the, the current positive uh, market movements in cryptocurrency might go on for another year but there will be a correction and in general with cryptocurrencies that correction can be quite significant. So, you know, I, I, I would definitely think that, you know, over the coming couple of months, it's going to continue to go up, but within not so long of a time, the whole cryptocurrency sphere might, um, might crash quite significantly. And sure, it's going to recover, but you don't want to be that guy that buys it at the very late stages of, 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 of its um, of its rise, and then when everything crashes, you sell and you make massive losses. Um, that's not fun at all. Um, but but yeah, I mean, cryptocurrencies at large is maybe a top topic for for, for another call. Um, but 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 yeah, it, it it is a promising industry. Um, I do think that it's in the very late stages right now of its bull market, and I do think it's going to go down. Uh, within not so long so you know if if you are in crypto cryptocurrencies right now what i would recommend is either uh, try some sort of a staking scheme where you could borrow your cryptocurrencies and gain interest on those to sort of soften the the losses or maybe you could look into buying a put option on on bitcoin or ethereum which basically would give you uh you know profit when the markets crash but you know it's this is not the time to just go all in on, on, on cryptocurrencies and say that this is the future and it's going to go up forever. Because that's not, that's not how any market behaves. You know, it, it, it will, will correct. And I, I think that that correction might come sooner than most people think. So, yeah. That's fascinating. I think uh, we have 
there are so many more topics we need to get into. Uh, the Fed is, is one particular topic we really need to understand uh, what their inflationary practices have done to our economy, to the, the power of the dollar, and really the power of, of any currency, because um, pretty much every currency out there is running on, uh, is a fiat currency. Um, and why, why cryptos are not the only solution to counteract that. And neither is gold, and neither, is, neither are precious metals, because they have their own kind of dynamics playing out. Um, Anyways, all of these are elements of a, of a further episode, future episodes. Uh, this episode, as always, has been sponsored by WhiteSwan.io. WhiteSwan is the only marketplace in America for the, at the time of this recording that provides, uh, it's the largest sort of marketplace for um, permanent whole life and term life and index life uh, insurance products for Americans. Um, check out whiteswan.io for, for more on that. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on Pontus and we will look forward to speaking with you again next week.